0: Episode 251 of the Ruby on Rails podcast, and I'm your host Brittany Martin. Ankita works as an engineer at Honestbee, where she's been working on transitioning Honestbee's monolith to smaller services. At Honestbee, she has worked on problems across various domains such as A/B testing, payments, event-driven architecture, and GraphQL. In her free time, she is passionate about practicing yoga and piano, but not at the same time, of course. I recently met Ankita Gupta at RubyConf Malaysia, and I'm excited to have her on the show to discuss GraphQL as a Rails developer. Welcome to the show, Ankita.
1: Happy to be here, Brittany.
0: Wonderful. Well, Ankita, let's kick it off by telling us your developer origin story.
1: OK, um, that dates back a couple of actually many years ago when I was 13 and I was you know, looking at my options in school. Uh, coding was one of the options and just because everything else didn't seem very interesting I opted for coding and over time as I pursued it I grew interested Uh, it seemed really like my natural flow state at that time and so when the time came to choose my university options I chose computer science I ended up doing my uh, you know degree in computer science and after that as I graduated I thought that I would go into coding since I loved it so much. But at that point, I also felt like I wanted to know more about the problems out there. And you know, after having done a couple of internships, I decided that, oh, I want to try something else. So I completely dived out and took a detour into strategy consulting. But I loved being an engineer so much that on the side in parallel uh, to my job, I also ended up starting a small nonprofit education technology company, and I realized that it was really hard doing the two things at the same time. So I basically came back into full time coding, uh, with Honestbee.
0: Awesome. So you currently work in Ruby and Rails. So what drew you to the Ruby community?
1: So actually, when I joined Honestbee, uh, the company had just uh, started, and the end was in. You know, we we had a a beta w- version of our website out and uh, it was already using Ruby on Rails so I basically had no choice but to jo- uh, to learn Ruby on Rails and I really enjoyed learning Ruby and after one year of learning it I re- I noticed that there was a Ruby conference coming up in Singapore and because I'm naturally an introvert so I decided to challenge myself by submitting a proposal as a speaker at the conference And as the first time speaker, I realized that the audience was really receptive and encouraging. So I was quite inspired by that experience. And I decided to keep getting more involved in the community. Uh, And basically from there, there has been no looking back.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, this is a common theme that we have across all the podcast listeners. If you want to get out of your shell a little bit, please, please, please apply to conferences. I know it has been a big game changer for me. I love speaking at conferences and it's just a really special moment in your career in order to do so. so And yes, I cannot attest enough that the Ruby community is just so welcoming and warm and they wanna hear your speak and they wanna hear your voice. So you keep mentioning Honesty and I wanna hear a little bit about it. So tell us a bit about Honesty. What is your mission there and how big is the team?
1: So honestly, we started out as an online grocery concierge service where our shoppers and deliverers, whom we also call as our bees, will shop and deliver the orders that are received by our platform. But over the last couple of years, it has evolved into a platform that combines online and offline experiences to create a really unique experience for our users, mostly around food. This also means that our technology platform has evolved a lot to maintain the same pace as the business. So our our team is actually pretty big when I um, think about the global team size, which is over to about 1,200 people. But the engineering team is still quite lean uh, with less than 100 people.
0: So when did the decision to introduce GraphQL to Honestbee Stack occur?
1: So just like I mentioned right now, our business has evolved so significantly that our code base also kept evolving with that. And as we started becoming from just a groceries delivery company to a concierge platform for food, groceries, and even a whole bunch of offline retail experiences, we also started seeing a lot of different use cases come up. So our clients started having various API requirements, and they required a whole bunch of different responses from, let's say, the same resource, if you're talking about a REST context. And at one point, we were using a whole bunch of client-specific serializers. So as a back-end engineer who is working on the system and providing a new API to the client, you would really be thinking hard about how you should reuse a serializer, or should you be creating a new serializer of your own? And to top it up, we would also get very, very frequent requests from clients to add extra fields to the API response, which mm-hmm just ended up causing a whole bunch of delays in releasing simple features sometimes. So this was one part of the problem, but as we started scaling and the number of users on our platform grew, we started seeing, you know, certain issues where our server performance was severely drained. And in some cases, we found that it was because an API was returning a response. where it was giving a bunch of fields, but some of these fields weren't even used by our clients. And so the response was unnecessarily huge, or there was a lot of time that was being spent in serialization. So while you can think of this as developer mistakes that didn't get caught during reviews, but we found that this was getting really, really difficult to maintain over time. And so that's when we started looking at GraphQL as a way to speed up development for our clients and also to make our code base a bit more maintainable such that it's not prone to these kind of errors where you all of a sudden introduce a huge performance drain through one of your APIs because you weren't careful in looking at how you are choosing your serializers. And that's kind of where our journey with GraphQL also began.
0: That makes sense. So uh, when you were deciding to uh, implement GraphQL into the stack, I know you mentioned that you, you had clients that were requesting different API responses, they wanted extra fields. Is that internally, is that from the microservices that are requesting w- within the application? Or is that actually from third parties outside of Honestbee?
1: So these are actually our internal clients. Um, oftentimes our consumer apps so it could be our web application or it could be our you know native android and ios applications that were asking for all of these different responses and that was simply because we had a whole bunch of needs that we wanted to fulfill with new verticals coming up on our platform and so these clients were just trying to ask for certain small variations in you know a particular resource that they had been asking for previously
0: Interesting, Okay, So there's often a misnomer that GraphQL is only for React and JavaScript developers, but you're successfully using it in a Ruby stack. How do you feel about GraphQL tooling that is available for the Ruby and Rails community?
1: So we found that the tooling for setting up GraphQL and getting a working API is really good. So there is a GraphQL client, there's a whole bunch of libraries around that that make it very easy as a developer to work in your environment and get it up running fast. Uh, we also have created a repository in Honestbee to to you know talk a little bit about how do you test your GraphQL APIs or how do you even write basic APIs. Uh, where we did struggle a little bit was more in terms of the real issues that you face when you introduce something like this in production. So Shopify does have GraphQL batch and that's where again once again the community has you know been pretty ahead and has introduced some of these tools which naturally indicate that there are people who are thinking of scaling issues with GraphQL. But for us, as we started implementing some of these tools, we found that the documentation sometimes wasn't sufficient. And in some cases, certain cases that we were experiencing, which felt like a rather common case uh, that other companies would face as well, where your API endpoints are doing pretty complicated queries, not just a simple query. And we found that there weren't enough people documenting their experiences on workarounds for these situations. So this was kind of interesting for us because this is where we ended up exploring some of our own solutions and coming up with our own workarounds.
0: Interesting. So you noted in your talk that GraphQL, while it's certainly trending upwards in popularity, might not always be the right solution. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: All right. So I think, firstly, you have to ask yourself, as a person who's making the decision to use GraphQL or not, if you're already feeling some of the pain points with REST. Uh, just like I mentioned, we had a whole bunch and we felt that GraphQL would speed up our clients. And that was something that we could even justify from a business impact point of view. So that is really the first question whether there is really there's a need for this, right? And GraphQL is by no means a silver bullet. It's really an alternative to REST. So if your answer is yes to that question, then the next thing you want to know is that GraphQL does have its own set of challenges. and For example, you will find that with REST endpoints, the response always follows a fixed format. So we thought of performance optimization with our REST endpoints in a very different way. To give you an example, in a Rails controller, when you think about optimizing your API endpoints, you typically think of your database queries and making sure that those queries are extremely uh, optimized. And then you also think about your serializers. You make sure that your serializers are doing the right thing. You need caching you have the right amount of caching put in place but with graphql the response format changes completely with every request uh, and every request to the same endpoint has a very different expectation of the response so we had to put a completely different hat for performance optimization and while there are tools like i mentioned shopify does have library but you know because there is a learning curve it requires some amount of time to change your entire perspective towards how you want to make your endpoints production-ready, if you want to say that. Uh, So I think, besides, you know, once we were done setting up our GraphQL application and we did have a basic working version of it, we set aside specifically some time to just look into performance before we could introduce it into production. And that means that when you are making this decision, you want to ask yourself, are you working on a project where timelines are extremely important and maybe you don't have that kind of time to research into some of these things some of the other stuff that you know we have to think about is are the engineers in your team even in the client side so if you have Android and iOS apps are they willing to put in the effort and do they have time to go through the learning curve of introducing GraphQL inside their code base now if if the answer to these questions is also yes then I guess you know that's where you can probably make the decision there's other factors as well and I think it eventually boils down to Time, especially if you're implementing this for the first time in your projects.
0: How long did it take for speed to implement GraphQL? Uh, so I'm assuming that you completely redid your REST API to GraphQL, or did you run both alongside each other for a while? How long did that whole process take?
1: So actually, that's a really interesting question. Uh, and this is where we had a little opportunity, because We were transitioning one of our sort of bigger services, I wouldn't say it was a monolith uh, but it was definitely a pretty big service into smaller services and so because we were moving to these smaller services we kind of had that little window where we said that hey what would we like to do differently in our smaller services even though our big service uses rest you know we had a whole new uh, like you know, we had we basically had all the time to look into GraphQL for the smaller ones, and that meant that we introduced GraphQL into these services, and these services were start- starting out receiving much lesser traffic than our main service. So I think that also gave us like more um, ability to experiment with things, and if when things went wrong, we were able to learn from a little bit from our production traffic as well. Unfortunately,
0: that's good. So as you mentioned, there, there's a lot of considerations that you need to make with GraphQL, um, especially when comparing it with REST. And one of the difficulties is, is to maintain server-side cache just because you have so many clients that are feeding from that data. With REST, it's easy to cache the data for each endpoint since, as you noted, the structure of the data will not change. So how is Honestbee handling caching for GraphQL?
1: so when you look at caching caching could be either across requests or within the same request right and mm-hmm. looking deeper at graphql requests they are different from rest in that the endpoint is always the same but the api parameters are actually very descriptive of what they are asking for and this is where you can look at the entire request and you can identify uh, you can you can use the request plus the parameters to cache your uh, request and its response, so that the subsequent requests that come in and that ask for exactly the same parameters can receive the response from the cache. So that's where you have your you know caching across requests. We also do caching within the same request, especially for the database queries. And once again, we use the you know the parameters, and uh, we have a bunch. We have a layer. We have an abstraction built over our database. Uh, and these, this abstraction is nothing but a service layer which helps us fetch data from our database. And so we look at this particular abstraction layer to do caching for our database queries. So this is where within the same request, if we find that you are looking for the data, same database records, then you know, we serve it from the cache response. So actually, I would say that, again, if you're willing to spend that kind of time, then yes, caching is something that can be implemented with GraphQL as well.
0: So if you were starting a new application and knew that you were going to have many consumers of your API, would you choose GraphQL?
1: I would definitely ask myself if I'm uh, if my application is serving external clients or internal clients. Because I think when you start serving external clients, there are some factors that you want to pay more attention to. So for instance, query whitelisting is this whole idea where uh, you want to be wary that your clients can ask you for extremely huge queries and the query response can be extremely draining for your server performance. And with your internal clients, even though you would want these measures in place, but you can still um, be a little bit more complacent, I guess, in, in not expecting extremely huge queries or malicious queries at least. But when you have external clients, you definitely want to take into account malicious queries and you know you want to spend more time with, uh, with certain aspects of GraphQL. So I would say that For us, in honesty, most of our clients are internal clients. And, you know, right now we have definitely, once we've gotten past that learning curve of picking up GraphQL, both on server side and client side, we feel quite comfortable introducing it to a new application as well. So, you know, I would definitely make that decision again, but it's totally dependent on your context and on your business requirements, I guess.
0: So, Any last tips about GraphQL that you would like to share with our listeners? We have a lot of listeners that have definitely heard about GraphQL, heard about its popularity, heard about, of course, from you and from others about its implementation. And so I'm sure they're definitely um, interested in trying it out. So any any tips that you could give your past self about GraphQL?
1: So I think for us, it was quite clear that the reason we were able to introduce GraphQL in our stack was because it was a new service. So it was fairly, less risky and we also had a bit of time before we had to release this into production. So one thing that we did was that we allocated one person of our team to really look into this in depth and analyze what kind of a project structure should we follow, what kind of concerns should we have and you know this really helped us go very very deep and then basically at the end of this whole experience we also had developed some kind of in-house expertise in this in form of this one person who then really helped in spreading this knowledge across the team. So that made the learning curve for the rest of the members a lot easier, because I felt that initially when we started GraphQL and we started looking at these new API endpoints, a lot of it looked slightly alien to the to to us. And having this one person in our team who knew so well about what he was doing and how he had made certain decisions and documented them really helped the team catch up quite quickly. So, you know, that was something that helped us. So maybe, you know, that's something you would want to try as well.
0: I really like that idea of having an internal GraphQL advocate of someone who is your point person, of probably staying on top of the latest news just because GraphQL is moving so much. I really like that advice. Um, definitely wanted to be someone who's motivating themselves in order to be on top of everything. Absolutely. Um, Ankita, how can our uh, listeners follow you?
1: So you could either follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Gazoobi. And you could also follow me on GitHub uh, at Ankita Gupta 12.
0: Excellent. We'll have that all linked up in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Ankita. As always, if you have any feedback, please reach out to me on Twitter. We'll catch you next week.
1: Thanks so much, Brittany. It was an absolute pleasure.